she's cheeky, that sister-in-law of mine. <laughs> um, <laughs> good morning, my name is Karen and I'll be doing our Bible reading today which comes from 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 to 15. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love and holiness with propriety. Brilliant. Thank you, Karen. And I've already said good morning, so that's okay. <laughs> it's funny, you sort of get used to that. If, you're, uh, if you are visiting with us or if you've not been here last week, then you know, you're, you're coming straight into something that we started last week and that we're going to finish this week. Um, we are a church who um, you'll only usually hear a man preach here from the front very rarely a woman. Uh, we are led by a group of men who we call elders. And uh, we, not for the reason of wanting to defend our position on that, but really wanting to empower our women to know what God has called you to do and who he's called you to be in the church, figured out that last week and this week. We just want to look at why is this? Why does it work the way it works for us in church? Last week we looked at the first um, two verses. So can I get my just the first of my slides up? Thank you, guys. The first of the two verses that Karen read to us this morning, we said a whole heap of stuff about what does it mean for a woman to learn in quietness and in full submission, uh, for women not to be admitted to teach or to assume authority over a man. I, I can't regurgitate this week what I said but we, last week, but we really went through a whole heap of stuff that that does not mean and what does it mean. And really what it boils down to is we said there's one particular thing that it does mean that I think that, that's awkward for us in our culture today. And that is to say that in the church, God has called some men, not all men, some men to teach and to govern his family on earth, the church. That is the one thing that God is asking not only women, but everyone other than those elders to be quiet about and to respect and okay with. You say, we are okay that God wants to run his church this way. Right? That's more or less a summary. And then we left it hanging and we said, okay, but why is that so? That is such an offensive thing to women in our culture. Many of you, I think, rightly went home last week and still felt really awkward about this, kind of offended not really sure, not really sure if I trust this, not really sure if I want to buy into this. Hmm, right? I'm reluctant to ask, put up your hand if that's what you felt last week, because, you know, but that's okay. So I'll just assume that there are many who feel that's sort of quite awkward. If you're a visitor with us, if it's your first time in church, you know, <laughs> you stepped into a great one, you know, like, is this what church is about? Really? Not for women? And, and kind of this harshness that's displayed? Um, yeah, bear with me. Uh, it's not what church is about at all, and that's what I want to go into today. I want to answer the question, and I'm going to have help from Jess later on. Why 
did God say this? And, and why might this be a great thing for women? Okay? Thankfully, the Bible answers its own question. It always does. The next verse that we read is, we're going to look at really verse 13 and 14. starts with the word for. That means, all right, I've said what I said in the top bit. Now I'm going to explain to you why I said it. And he gives it to us. Adam was formed first, then Eve. Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. Here's the thing you would get up the front. You'd go, he's saying, you know what? Everything that's wrong is really women's fault. It was, it was in the creation story. It's, it's Eve's fault. She was, the, she was the sinner. And sorry if you're new to church. There's a bit of language here. I'll explain it soon. But if you know the creation story, it was Eve's fault. She was the weaker party. She's the one who, who, who kind of failed there. It's not Adam's fault. That's sort of what you get almost at a surface level of reading verse 13 and 14. Not what the writer is going for at all. Here's what he's going for. And I'll illustrate it to you in a sec. He simply wants to tell us that God made men and women differently and we see it in the way that they stuff up differently. Right? God made men and women differently, and we see it in the way that they stuff things up differently. Come with me. He takes us to right in the beginning of, of the Bible story, of the story of humanity, where we read in the first book in the Bible, it's called Genesis, the story of how God made the world. Right? We're not sure if this is exactly literally how he made it or not, but this is the beginning story that we're given by God, what well, we do know about the beginning of all things. The nexus, the Genesis, right in the beginning. This is where we're taken to by the guy who writes the words that we read this morning. And here's what we read in the beginning documents. The Lord God took... The man, I've got a man. They've been staring at you all through COVID on the Zoom services through the computer and I finally got a chance to pull them out and use them. Yeah. The Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it and he said to the man, Adam is a representative, there are lots of men in the world at this time that God has created. God says to this man, you can live in this perfect place that I have created you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Adam, here's the world that I've created. It is good. As long as you honor and respect my authority as creator over you, creature, by not eating from this one tree, we will be good, and this will remain good. Everything that God has made up to this point in the story in the Garden of Eden, he looks at and he says it's good. You know, the sky, it's good. The plants, it's good. The animals, it's good. And then you read there in verse 18, for the first time, he looks at this man and he says, for the first time, there's something that is not good. It is not good for this man to be alone. God says, I will make 
a helper suitable for him. And so, enter the story, Eve. Right? The representative woman that we read of in Genesis. Now, the first thing that you're going to read again at the surface level of the text here is helper. What do you think of when you hear helpers? Helpers are inferior, right? There's the dentist, and then there's the dentist assistant who helps the dentist. Yeah? Little helpers, the kids, it's kind of patronizing. It's sort of, again, feeding that perception that sits culturally about Christianity, and maybe that's what you have today and what you feel we are perpetuating as a church, to say, you know, Eve is inferior. (laughs) Get it out of your head. In the Bible, again and again and again and again, there is a very unique person who is described as a helper. You know who it is? It's God. God is the helper. He's the helper of Israel. He's the helper of humanity. He's the helper for us in Christ. A helper. A dignified, incredibly worthy and valuable term that is applied to this woman who is created and put in the Garden of Eden to help and complement the man to be who he cannot be on his own. To do what God has asked him to do in the creation that he cannot do on his own. He needs her and she needs him. Right? Here's what I want you to get at this point. Two things. Oh, he can play with them, honestly. They're just nobodies. <laughs> Do you want to play with the man or the woman? Both. Two things you meant to get from this. The man and the woman were different and had different jobs to do from the beginning. This is before things went wrong in the world. This is the perfect world. This is the blessed good world that God looks back at and he says, this is good, this is perfect, this is phenomenal, this is exactly what I had in mind. This is where fulfillment and joy and happiness and peace and prosperity and everything that our marriages are not and everything that our genders are not in terms of working together, it is here. It is perfect. It is blessed. They were different. They're not the same. Right? There are many who interpret what he said about women in Timothy in the text that we read and say, no, you know what, the way that the church operates these days with saying, you know, only male elders, that's sort of really a result of what went wrong in the world. Genesis 3, sorry for the jargon, if you're new to church, you know, one of the curses or the consequences of the sin entering into the world is uh, God says to the woman, your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. And they would say, you know what, this is part of the, the fallen world, the sinful world, Surely Jesus has come to change that and to recreate that. I put it to you, that is not true. Jesus has come to recreate what was there in the beginning. A good, complementary relationship between Adam and Eve. Equal, but different. Not only were they made different, they stuffed up differently. We read on in Genesis. I was away a while ago. Can I pick you up? Yeah. 
There you go. David's going to help me teach. I was away a while ago at a shack with a few friends. Are you going to help me teach? I'm not sure if he is. And we watched the episode of Sherlock, Sherlock Holmes. And here's what he said. I don't think David is going to help me teach. <laughs> Sorry, David. And in the series um, with Jai and Becky and Heidi, we watched, we meet this character here. His name's Charles Magnuson. Here's his thing. He's the evil villain in, in the Sherlock series. And here's his, his villainous power. He sort of, he keeps a record of people's, what he calls, pressure points. You know, he knows where you're weak, and then he digs up dirt on highly influential people, and he keeps a record of that dirt, and because he knows their secrets, he can manipulate them to do what he wants them to do, otherwise he just spills his guts, and everyone knows about all the dirt that he's dug up on them. He knows their pressure points, and that's how he becomes the ultimate villain. Okay, the ultimate villain in the story of Genesis is Satan, God's archenemy. He looks at what God has created in Genesis, this good, perfect thing between man, woman, this world that is in harmony, it's beautiful, it's heaven on earth. He looks at all that as it exists under the authority of God, where man and woman submits to it, and it's good, it's beautiful, and he wants to disrupt it. Now, notice how he does it. Let me show you. He said to the woman, Did God really say... You must not eat from any tree in the garden. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Shelley knows this through Adam, by the way. Only Adam has been given this command. He's the one who passed it on to her because she was made after that. Okay, Adam's the teacher. That is the role of an elder. So she knows this through Adam. You'll not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. Eve, surely all this business about you having to live under the authority of God and that this man needs to be the one to teach it and you ought to be okay with that and humbly help him to carry that through in your role and your place and your care for the creation. Surely this is rubbish. Look at yourself. Surely you ought to realize yourself, assert your independence, your authority, your place over the man and over God. Do you see what he's doing? It's her pressure point. Hers. He does not go to the man. He goes to her first. Where is the man, by the way? He's there. (laughs) He's right there. He hears the whole spiel. He hears everything that Satan says. And we read, uh, I don't know if I put this on the slide, Um, she gave some to her husband and he ate from it as well. He's right there. He stands in the garden at the point where Satan works with Eve and he says nothing. You know what his pressure point was? Passivity your responsibility to teach, to uphold truth from lies, to serve this community as a humble self-sacrificing 
teacher and leader to ensure its beauty, its harmony, its perfection of what God had in mind. And what did you do, Adam? You stood there. You did nothing. You failed. They failed differently because they were created differently. And so church, my simple point with all of that is to say what, what, what Paul tells us in Timothy is nothing cultural that we can say, you know, in the ancient New Testament times, men and women were different. It's different times now, 2,000 years later, therefore we need to rewrite the roles. No. No, no. This is going back to the, dare I say, the deep magic of where it all started. If you're new to church, if you're new to God, if you're new to faith, my message to you, if all of this is confusing, is simply this, to say that, you know what God wants for you? If you're a woman... He wants to change you, transform you, redeem you into the beautiful being who has created you to be as a woman from the beginning. If you're a man, God wants to redeem you, change you, grow you to be the man who he has created you to be from the beginning as a man. Somehow, we as a humanity mess that up. Somehow men to this day are either still, either passive cowards who are too afraid, who can't be bothered to lead in their marriages, in their families. We'd rather hide in footy clubs, man caves, Xboxes, whatever else. Or we've so misunderstood this that we hide in our un-Jesus-like Brash abuse of women. Either way, on either end of the spectrum, it distorts what God had in mind for manhood. Women, to this day, the tendency is still to assert authority, dominate through manipulation. Either over other women in your schoolyard, you know, the pecking order, you know what it works like amongst the girls, online, social media. Or on the other end of the scale, it's too weak to confront the unchrist-likeness of Adam. What would have happened there if Eve, perhaps, and by the way, I agree that that is a place for that for women, if Adam said to Adam, Adam, this is your moment, man. Do your job. Be who God has created you to be. Women, it's your role, it's your place to say that, to do that. And yet, it's messed up. It looks nothing like that. And my message to you simply is this this morning, is to say that we believe as a church that God, for those reasons, plus a few others, which Jess will help me in a minute, in a minute to explain, <laughs> that men and women are different in the church. Not because men are more important, not because men are better, but simply that God places in the church, I'm not talking about the world, about politics, about business, about any of those things in the church, God places on some spiritually gifted men the divine calling to take primary responsibility as elders for Christ-like servant leadership and teaching the, the church. And that God is calling the rest of the church, both men and women, to nurture, to honour and to affirm the leadership of these leaders and be empowered by them the hundreds of callings that God has on the lives of women. I'll talk about that in a minute. 
You may say, that's great, Ed. Cool, I get it. I see it from Genesis. But um, still not convinced. (laughs) Still not convinced why God has said this. So, I'm going to work a little bit longer today. Stay with us. I'm going to invite Jess up. So, Jess, come on up. And I'm going to interview Jess. I thought, you might not believe me because I am a male, so I can't bring the women on board. But maybe Jess can. (laughs) <laughs> so Jess, come on up. Alf and Martin stuffed up my... There's stuffed a up bit my, of coffee there to have. There's even coffee for us to drink? Yeah, yeah there's... Uh, we're lucky there might be some bread and wine too. All right, everyone, this is Jess. Uh, Jess has led our service so far, and Jess is just going to help me a little bit here. We're just going to have a, I don't know, lounge room chat, if you like, and uh, thank you for your help. I'm going to ask Jess two questions. And Jess will just add bits and pieces. We've worked a fair bit together on this. And I've got to say, for us, it's been a wonderful thing, actually, to live this theology out <laughs> between us. And, and, and we thought we'd love to put that to work this morning as well, in view of all of you. So, Jess, what, <clears throat> other than the fact that you were created for a specific purpose since the beginning, that is unique, and, and, and I was created for a specific purpose from the beginning, and you sin differently to I sin in that sense. What other than that makes you read Timothy and go, yeah, I'm, I'm okay with God's purpose and place for me in the church? What makes you okay with that? She won't say it, but I'll say it, as a strong, intelligent, and capable woman. What makes you okay with that? <laughs> All right. All right. All right. Uh- I've got to do a disclaimer. I don't know if that's the right word. So, being a pressure point in my life, this issue, um, as maybe others can um, relate to. Um, so, that's to say that first, um, that I think, you know, you grow up and you go, what? Why are the men up there? And what about us women? Women lead countries. We lead organisations. We lead companies. And, and they do across the globe. Women lead countries. There's a number of countries across our world that are led by women. So are organisations, so are entrepreneurs, all these things. What about the church? And then, um, first thing, the church isn't a country. The church isn't an organisation or a company. Um, it's, a, it's the body of Christ. It's God's family. It looks different and it looks like, it's. well, the call is to look like the start, look like God's original designed plan. So um, I've come to terms slowly, still working on it with some of this, um, and that's through these conversations, it's through some going to talk, I talked last year on this, it's through reading some stuff and going through some theology on people that are much more learned than me, the John Pivers, Claire Smith, those kinds of people. So anyway, but it's not, what I've learned is it's not just Genesis that shows us this, that um, let's us see this beautiful thing that was created at the beginning. There's a couple of other places we see it in the Word. Oh, and, and that's one of those big places is what we see throughout the Bible is in the Trinity. We've got the three distinct, different, um, very much dis, um, differentiated and in order, the three parts of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And these three different parts are in no way threatened by this difference in power um, 
or, well, this difference in, in how they are set up differently and the different roles that the Trinity, we see the Trinity take. Um, it doesn't threaten their power. It doesn't threaten the glory of the Trinity. It doesn't um, threaten the equality and the majesty. It adds to it. So we see that in the Trinity. Um, and then you think, hey, if it's good enough for the Trinity, it's got to be good enough for us. It's got to be good enough for the church. How are we to say that what's fine for the Trinity, that different, that distinction, that order, isn't good for us? So I think that's one thing. We see it in the Trinity. We see it in Genesis. And there's another place where, another way we see this reflected. And I think it, it comes from the original plan in Genesis. Restore. Sorry. <laughs> You're like, no, it doesn't. Sorry. I shouldn't even be here. I, I got COVID. might have COVID. I don't know. But anyway, oh, you go. Really? Oh, goodness. That's right. I have anybody's. All right. The original plan in Genesis. Um, restored and beginning to be restored in what we see when we've got Christ and the church. The way Christ led the church and it was a leading in submission. It was, a, it was authority, but servant-hearted authority, that teaching. He came, he taught, he died, he gave and he is that authority figure and the church fits under that submission, fully empowered by that authority and enabled. And so we see that reflected in that relationship between the church and Christ. And then we um, are called to reflect, Genesis, to reflect that restorated plan in Christ and the church with not just in our church leadership, in elders and um, others, but also in marriage. And you see that in God's call in marriage for the different roles, the different distinctions and the different responsibilities between um, man, husband and wife. Um, and these are not identical. Man, woman are not identical. They're not reciprocal. And they're not able to be blurred when we see them play out in these ways, in elders and others, in man and wife, in Christ and the church. Um, so I think those are the other points that help us see why. Why does it look like, oh, it's not up there right now, the, um, mm. the role between... Mm. It's not all that strange for us to function in that same sense if God himself functions like that. Very much Jesus so. submits willingly out of free choice to the Father to the point of coming to die for us. And in a certain sense, women, your call is exactly the same as that of Jesus. It's highly dignifying yep. in that sense, right? And if God himself functions like that, why would it be that strange that he would expect his church to somehow reflect that? Is, is, um, oh, yeah, more or less what you're saying. Just can you, can you tell me... Um, can I move on to another question? Yes. yes. What should a woman do if you find yourself on a, on a, uh, on a ministry team, a leadership team, uh, or in a marriage, where you clearly know you're the more spiritually mature and gifted person than the, the guy who's the, who's the leader of that team or, or your husband? Um, what do you do? How do you respond to that as a woman? Um, who, who finds herself in, in a situation like that. Um, yeah, what would you do? Um, yeah, so I, this is again sort of that thing that comes up because you're like, well, when you, it's not only that, hi, why does that work? Why is there men and women different roles? In but it's also, does it work? You see it, you see it in life and in church and you're like, but it doesn't always work. Like it, or it doesn't look like it always works. Yeah. Um, and so um, thinking through this and 
reading and listening to podcasts and stuff about this, this that kind of thing. Um, it was interesting to first that it comes back to the man um, recognising and being thankful for the gifts that they do see in the women, do, that they, we see in the women of this church um, and affirming that and um, no, by no way intimidated or um, resentful of that. We have very gifted women in this church and in many churches. Um, and then the second thing would be able to see that regardless of what a woman shows, holds, expresses in her abilities to lead and um, in that in no way does that in change the creation order. In no way does that change the roles that have been distinctly defined. Um, the essence of leadership is not, oh, you can do this, you can do that, you can um, talk or talk well or move people to the next no. point A. To B. It's not those things. The essence of the way God has planned from the very beginning um, and that the church is called to restore is this, um, this idea that... Um, that primary responsibility, um, like you said, with those couple of definitions, with that um, men are called, specific men, such as our eld the elders of the church, are called um, for that primary responsibility. And it's played out in servant-hearted leadership, which is authority through teaching, um, not authority through domination, authority through, let me show you. Um, the teaching side and then the submission is powerful it's powerful in the way that it's everyone else in this is in the church setting with the elders everyone else both men women children uh, honor they affirm and they carry through um, that the gifting through their giftings um, the leadership that the elder puts in place um, mm. and are, and then are equipped through that for the thousands like you said and the um, hundreds of various ministries that are available to us. Um, and again, all that sits under God, sits under his authority, his submission, his example in Christ and the church. And I think, I think just touches on something that's critical for the church to get here. One of the big questions embedded in this whole scenario is, can we, will we, all of us, honour the authority of God who said, this is how I've made my world to be? Or will we say, no, we will rewrite how you've created your world to be? <laughs> and I think that's sort of underneath all this at a very deep level. One of the issues that creeps in here is, is can we, will we, if we rightly and properly understood and submit ourselves, all of us to God, in the way that he works. And then the second thing I just picked up on what you said, Jess, is, is for, for a woman to get back to the practical thing, if you're in that situation where you're under a leader who, who, who is not as mature as you are, who's not as Christ-like as you are, there are avenues open to you to challenge that. We've read last week and spoke about women in the Bible who did that. Uh, Eunice, Lois, Priscilla, who would quite happily take their pastor aside and say, you're wrong on something. This is not what Jesus has taught us. And so should you, as women. In a certain sense, you have a responsibility to shape the leadership under which you want to be, right? That's open to you, entirely open. Uh, and you can do so without rewriting, without fiddling or reorienting what God has had mm. in mind, uh, entirely open to us. 
All right, I want to wrap up. Um, unless any more comments from you, Jess? Um, no, that's no. All good. Just don't don't openly challenge me here on oh, stage. No. <laughs> <laughs> Afterwards, it's fine. Um, <clears throat> on a wrap up, I said last week uh, this is all about empowering women. I believe that's true. I want you to know, women, that after this two weeks that we looked at all of this, you are, and we seek for you to be empowered to model Christ-likeness, as Jess shared. That is a dignified, noble calling. <laughs> Nothing inferior about that at all. You are empowered to teach. Teach the men under whose leadership you want to be. Teach in small groups. Teach your children. Teach your husbands. Teach the people who you meet with for coffee in mentoring and coaching relationships. You are empowered, I said already, to shape Christ-like leadership in those who ought to lead you. And now let me finish with just a story from my own life, and this is the thing that I think is the most important when it comes to this whole discussion, which I now want to lay to rest for our church for the foreseeable future, not that it's been an, an issue at all. I've been doing this job of being an elder for about 10 years now. A teacher and a governor, as the scriptures would say. And I can tell you now, it pales. It pales in comparison to the calling of loving a person who does not know Jesus to introduce them to Jesus, to fulfill my purpose just as a Christian in the mission that God has in store for me. You, me, every single person is called to that. In a certain sense, I want to say to us that we should not make this thing any bigger than what it is. We have far bigger fish to catch and squabbling over who gets to be elders and who does not. It's not such a big deal. There are times in my life where I think it'd be great if I'm not in eldership to make more time for what I'm fundamentally here. It's a great desire of mine to shape and work with church culture that our culture is such that we allow the most time for what is most important. Less governance, less structures, less structures, but Fruitful in mission. Do what God has called us to do. And so my final thought is simply this. Do not overcook this. This is how God's created it. We believe it's a good thing. We believe it can be a good thing. We believe it does not withhold any of us from fulfilling what God has called us to do. And therefore, we believe it's a good thing. So can I ask, as we finish, that Jess, you would pray... Uh, Pray whatever's on your heart, pray for our elders, <laughs> and bless us. Let's pray together. Yes, Lord, um, thank you. Thank you for your word, and um, thank you for your teaching, thank you for your church. Um, thank you that um, you didn't just throw um, us together at the very beginning. You didn't throw man in, woman in, let's find out who's the leader, that kind of thing. You didn't throw the church together. Um, there's order, there's structure, there's beauty um, in how you set up the world, um, in how you set up the church, in how you call us to live. 
um, with one another. And it, um, it is, and those ways are the best ways for us. So I pray that we will feel that we will live in our, each one of our God-given calls, um, no matter in what sphere and in what way that looks and takes shape in our lives. And we will live in that and feel um, most satisfied, most satisfied in your loving, your good, your glorious plan. Um, and then you will be most glorified, Lord. Yes, yeah, so I pray over this church. I pray over um, leaders across the church in all different areas and every single person, a leader in some way. Um, I just pray into that. I pray especially for our elders. Um, as a woman in this church, I pray um, over them and I pray that they will claim their and take up and their position that you've called them to. They will feel empowered by your spirit. Um, they will feel that you're calling over them. They will step into that role in a, in a powerful way and that the rest of us will um, step into our role, our good and um, strong and um, enabling and empowered role of supporting and together we um, do what is most important for um, church, we do the main thing. We give you glory. We bring the kingdom to earth. We spread your good, good news. And um, we love one another and we love um, the world that you have asked us to love. We, we get out there and we show um, your love to others. Yeah, so I, I thank you for this time. And, um, yeah, I pray all these things in your name. Amen. Thank you, music team.